Oh, God, we add our voices to myriad angels, saints who've gone before, to over two billion people throughout this planet right now who praise your name. You are worthy of praise. God, we give you glory and, and honor and praise. We recognize, God, if we don't, the very stones will cry out. Creation will cry out to give you glory. Oh, God, don't let any rocks take our place. God, receive our worship today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Olivet Community Church, both those of you who are here with us in worship, and I'm so grateful for your presence, and also those of you who are watching online with us. We count it a privilege to have you worship. I think last week there was 90 of you online. We are so grateful for your joining us here. But our great desire is to lift up the name of Jesus. Our great desire is to honor God. And whether you're in your living room right now or whether you're here in in the Lord's house, um, he is ready to meet you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to bless you. And so we just look forward with joy to this hour that we can share together. Would you do me a favor? Would you um, risk blowing our system here and text your name to 812-457-9509. I think it's up there, 812-457-9509. While you're doing that, there are so many things going on in the life of our congregation. There are so many people who need to know that there are other people who are lifting them up in prayer. There are so many people celebrating, like Curtis, uh, celebrating God's provision for Jersey, and we just prayed through that with you, Curtis, and rejoice. Yeah, God, glory to God. Not out of the woods yet. She's still in a body cast, but we're, we're getting close. We're getting close. But uh, we know that every single one of you, and those of you online, are also in that kind of situation. So if there's some way that we can pray for you, we are just greatly desired to do that. And even if you're not a member of our church or even a constituent, but you're watching online, We are a praying church, and we believe that God honors that, and we would be delighted to pray with you. Can I tell you just a couple stories about that? I was in um, a rural king, and and there was a gal really high up on a ladder, and and I asked her for something, and and she told me, and she just looked kind of low, and I kind of said, are you all right? Are you okay? And and standing on this ladder high above me, um, she began to pour out her heart about, something that was going on in her life. And I said, well, man, right there in Rural King, let's just pray about this. Can I pray for you? And, and, and it was weird for her, but um, she let me pray for her. I didn't think much more about it. And then I got a text. She had contacted the, um, the uh, Rural King manager. Uh, he knew me. Uh, he gave her my number. She texted me later about a really critical thing going on in her life. And just that willingness to pray opened a door to this person. We are very different people. She comes from a completely different worldview. But she recognizes that there is a God and that he works through those who pray. Yesterday, um, I said goodbye to a friend. I knew him. Mike and I both knew him through racquetball. Um, And uh, for years, we played racquetball in his basement, if you can believe that. And um, um, he developed leukemia. And it was so beautiful. He, he's real, right? He's saying, I want, I want to be delivered from this disease. But even if I'm not, right? Even if I'm not, I want to finish well. I want God to be honored in my life. And, and it was such a beautiful thing yesterday to see the impact of one person's life. People videoed in from around the country. Um, People there testified about how they saw Jesus in this man. Do not, do not underestimate the presence of God in your life and what he can do through you as you do what we're doing exactly right here. You praise him and you open your heart to him. So that's our goal and our desire today 
to honor Jesus, but also to be the church together. I want to just remind you that many of our small groups are re-engaging, some of them in person, some of them online. Uh, there are women's groups. There are men's groups. There are, there are mixed Bible studies. Right after the service, there are a couple online Sunday school classes. One of the teachers is right here right now. And, um, and, and just opportunities for you to be together. And I know online stuff is a little weird at first if you're not used to that. But, um, but especially in this time when we're apart, it is a great way of staying in touch, of being encouraged by other people's relationship with God. So check your bulletin. Um, check online. We list on our website some of the places where you can engage. We need each other more now than ever. Amen. Let's, let's not hesitate to gather together online and other places. Let's not stop um, serving. Let's not stop praying for our neighbors. It's such a joy to go on uh, the, the um, Evansville site and see how many people from last February who began to pray for their neighbors by name uh, from last February are still praying. Nearly 50,000 people in Evansville are being prayed for on a daily basis by their neighbors. Do not underestimate what God can do through your life. But if you are also saying, well, gosh, I don't know how he can use me, there's opportunities even through our congregation. It's September 5th, I believe, uh, Potter's Wheel. We're going to be feeding upwards of 150 to 200 people who are hungry, and we'd love to have you be involved, and that will be doing it both in September and October. There are many ways that you can engage. Um, our college campuses are, are, are starting up. And I don't know if you can remember when you were that age, whether you went to college or into the military or into trades, but that's just such a formative time in people's lives. So, so there's so many ways that you can pray, that you can engage and make a difference even in this season of isolation. I just really encourage you to do that. But I want to encourage you also that the thing that guides us, the thing that helps us know moment by moment uh, what God's desire is for us is the very Word of God. Our memory verse today uh, comes from the Word of God. Part of it's going to be familiar to you, and part of it won't. But it comes from Psalm 34. Verses 3 and 4. If you have your Bibles or your phones with you, would you call that up? And if you have the opportunity to call it up in ESV, that will be a little helpful as we, as we focus on this verse together. Let me say it for you once uh, while you're turning to a trust in the Lord. The psalmist says, And do good, dwell in the land, and befriend, or the word really means cultivate faithfulness, Right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The address is Psalm 37, verses 3 to 4. Would you join me, uh, whether you're at home, in your living room, or here in the sanctuary, would you join me as we say that together again? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 3 through 4. Well, that's our great desire today. I know, I know that it's hard. And I know for some of you at home, you feel so very alone. Some of you are facing physical, emotional, and spiritual challenges that that are painful. I want you to know that God understands your pain. There's nothing that you are facing this moment that he has not already gone before you in. So I invite you, trust in the Lord. Keep on keeping on. Do good. Delight yourself in him. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Let's continue together in worship, shall we? I wonder 
Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a new thing, a living creature. Over the last weeks, we've opened God's word, and we've seen that the creator is still in the business of creating, right? He didn't stop on that seventh day. He's still to this day working. Jesus said, my father is working, and so I am working. He's making new that which has become old. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says, so from now on I will regard no one according to the flesh. Even though I once regarded Christ this way, I do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can make everything new? Say this with me, would you make everything new. Would you say that with me? Say that one more time. You make everything new. God is making something new in you, even now. You make me new. You of your brokenness and sin because of Jesus Christ you have been made new beloved with joy I say to you here in this room to those of you in your living rooms at home if you if you confess your sin he is faithful and just and will forgive you all your sin thanks be to God we are forgiven say it one more time can we you make me new. You are making me morning. This morning's reading comes from Genesis chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bilium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is the word of our Lord. Over the last weeks, we have been recognizing that we live in a world that has lost its foundations, right? Like a, like a, a boat on the sea whose anchor becomes disengaged, we become tossed about by every wind and wave that, that's happening around us. And, and left by itself in that condition, shipwreck is the only result, right? And as Paul said, even in, in his culture, many have shipwrecked their faith. Many have become untied uh, to their anchor. They, they no longer have any connection to reality and to truth. And, and so we have, we have committed ourselves to going back to the beginning, to going back to God's word, and to, and to seeing uh, what, what the foundation is. And, and we've already discovered some powerful truths, right? We'll, we'll explore them again in a few moments. We've discovered some powerful truths from God's word that speak directly into our culture right now. But when you hear words like that, it's so easy to lay them aside, is it not? It is, it's so easy to just believe that, that, yeah, those are just ancient words that have no impact on my life or worse, as many, if not most, around you, those are just myths. Those are fairy tales, right? But God's word did not begin once upon a time. God, God's word, as we saw that very first week, three weeks ago, um, begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So over these last days, we have been exploring together what does that mean that God is our creator? What does it mean that he created this world for us? What does it mean that he's still sovereign, sustaining this world and still renewing the face of the earth? What do those things mean? We learned that the first week that there, there is a God. Remember that? And we are not him. One of the great struggles of our culture is the exact same one we saw here in Genesis 1 and now 2. Human beings trying to be God. There is a God, right? We memorized Hebrews eleven seven, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For you must believe that he exists and that he earnestly, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there is a God and he's still sustaining the earth. But we saw last week as well that, that um, in, in the beauty of his creation, that God has a very special place for people. And, and uh, the powerful truth from last week is that there's no one that you lay eyes on who is not a masterpiece of God. Despite their 
political persuasions, despite the color of their eyes or their hair or their skin, right? Every person that you lay eyes on is the exact representation of the image of God. Oh, yeah, it's been distorted by our sin, but there still is this core vestige of the image of God in there. And therefore, they are worthy. Looking back for Beth and she moved. Um, they're worthy of, of dignity. They're worthy of our um, compassion and concern. Well, I want to go one more step with you today. I want to focus on this truth that, that God who created us also prepares and I'm going to say a word, and we'll explore it in depth over the next three weeks. But he prepares a place for us, right? And that, that encompasses a, a geographic place, but it also encompasses an emotional and a spiritual place for us as well. God has prepared a place for us. So, so if that's true, and I'll, and I'll try and support this from our Genesis 2 passage today, if that is true, then what can we learn about that place? First of all, it is a place where he is, right? It is a place where he is. We were created by God to be in right relationship with him. And I'm going to just add, um, with each other as well. It's not in our passage today, but a big part of the greatest commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves, as well as loving God. So, so God has prepared a place for us, and it's a place where he is. Now, how does Moses bring this out um, in, in, in our passage today? And I know I just took a step of faith um, for some of you. Uh, and I don't have time this morning, but over and over again in the Old and New Testament, Moses is attributed to be the author of these words. And, and you say, oh, how can that be? Moses lived hundreds of years after the events that he's describing. Well, Moses was a man who walked with God. And Moses spent twice, 40 days in the very presence of God. Moses spent 40 years leading the people of God. And, and during that time, I believe, was when when he recorded some of these words. That's going to be really important for us because we have to understand that probably the first people that were hearing these words were people in a desert wilderness on their way to the promised land, right? The very first people that heard this were people who were no longer in this garden. The first people who heard these words, not experienced them, but heard them, were, were people on a journey through, through um, desert places. And maybe as we gather here today, you are on that kind of a journey too. It seems like everything that has given you life has been withered away. It seems like, um, like the world is changing faster than you can ever understand. And, and you long for maybe the way it was. Or for many of us, we long for the way that the Word of God says it's going to be. Amen? We long for that new Jerusalem. So in many ways, we're exactly like the people who first heard these words. But what was, how did Moses bring out this first idea that, that we were created to be with God? He does it uh, powerfully with, with a tool that you might miss if you're not paying attention. Remember how we explored in Genesis 1 um, Moses was clearly identifying the creator God with the idea of God that was already present in his culture, the idea of Elohim, right? A word that people used to describe this God who, who um, was mysterious, but, but, but made himself known in so many ways that humanity could not deny it. And, and now in Genesis 2, something strange happens, something different happens um, many people look at this passage and say, well, is it like a second creation account? By the way, just do not succumb to that temptation. People will say, well, clearly it's two creation accounts, and they disagree with each other. No, look carefully, beloved. Don't, don't take someone else's words. You go to the word of God. And, and in particular, a famous 
um, place in this passage that people will say conflicts with Genesis 1. If you look carefully at it, you will see it actually, it actually strengthens, it strengthens the account in Genesis 1 as well. But in Genesis 2, he, he continues to refer to the creator God, but now he refers to him slightly different. And now, now remember where we are. He is writing these words for people probably wandering in the desert who've had a phenomenal experience of deliverance across the Red Sea, who've had a phenomenal uh, experience of being in the very presence of God on the mountain of God in Mount Sinai. People who heard on that mountain the very personal name of God, right? Yahweh, I am that I am. Who shall I say sent me? Remember in our study of Exodus when we we, uh, studied that passage together? Uh, God, you're sending me to deliver these people. Why should they believe me? Who shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them this, I am that I am sent you, right? I am has sent you. And here, now, as Moses records those words, I want you to know, people, that this creator God, remember, they're in, a, they're in a, a, a culture that believes in many gods. This creator God, Elohim, whom everyone understands exists, this God is your God. Let me say that differently. Your God is this God. Yahweh is him. So, so how, how does Moses bring out this idea that God wants to be in right relationship with us? He taps into their understanding of the covenant that God made with them to be them, to be with them. The covenant that Yahweh made. He now begins in Genesis 2 to say, to say, this God is Yahweh Elohim. Your God, who covenanted forever to be your God is the creator of the universe. Another way, well, let me stop for a second and say, that Yahweh Elohim, that that particular name of God is used 20 times in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. It's only used like 10 times in the whole rest of Scripture, right? But, but for these people, the barren wilderness of Sinai, who need to know if, if God still cares, God says, Moses says, yes. Yes, he does. He wants to be with you. He is with you. This pillar of cloud by day, this pillar of fire by night is your covenant God, the creator of the universe, and he is with you. But another way that Moses brings out this truth that we were created to relate to God is by showing the, the beautiful uh, way that, that God gives uh, personal attention and deliberate care, right, to the creation of humanity. Did you see it? We said it for you twice so far. We're just trying to emphasize it. But, but there's this beautiful picture, right? Well, there was no bush on the field yet. That's, that's the important contradiction that people try to point out. Well, how could there be a bush in the field? Where there's, or with, how can Adam be created when there's no plants yet? He didn't say there was no plants. He just said there was no cultivated plants. There was no bush in the field and, and um, no small plant of the field, no cultivated plants had happened yet. Then God formed man out of the dust to pick up on last week's word study of Adam, right? Um, a strong leader who opens a door either to the waters of life or to the waters of death. The Lord God formed Adam from the Hebrew word Adama, Adama ground or dust, right? There's a little boy who who was learning biblical truths. And they said to his mom, Mom, is it true that we were formed from the dust of the ground? And she said, yes. And he says, Mom, is it, is it true that we're going to return to dust? And, and mom said, yes. 
He said, well, I was looking under my bed, and somebody's either coming or going under there. <laughs> Someone's coming or going. God took Adamah, the dust of the ground, and it's a very personal word. He formed, he formed that into this person, Adam. And did you see that? It went by so fast. And, and when, when the physical body of Adam was, was complete, it was still not alive. Didn't mean to go here today, but, but I'm going to because I'm here. Um, just because we have a physical body does not mean we're alive, right? Um, um, I'm thinking of the movie, um, I See Dead People, right? There are dead people all around us. What is the difference between beauty of God's creation and a, a part of God's creation that's really alive. It says it right here. And God breathed into his nostrils the pneuma in Greek, the, the ruach of, in Hebrew, the breath of God, and he became a living creation, right? God's still in the business of breathing life. You magnificent creation of God. We're designed to be the container, to be the, the temple in which his Holy Spirit, his holy breath, the pneuma of God dwells. And that is what brings us life, even as it brought Adam life as well. What is this forming of the dust? Is um, anybody else really fascinated by by potters, by you know what I mean, by people on, who work a potter's wheel. Um, I uh, we go periodically to state parks and 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 uh, special places where where they go back to the old ways of doing things. And I always hang out at the potter's wheel because because there's just something beautiful about taking this lump of clay, right? And 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 whether it's a man or a woman doing it, they. They um, beautifully shape that lump of clay into something that is usable, something that will bless other people, right? Something that God can use to, to fulfill his purposes with. And that's the word that, that Moses uses here. Uh, it's like a potter forming. God beautifully and artfully and magnificently created Adam, we've seen in Psalm 139, that's exactly what he does for us as well. In our mother's womb, God forms us and creates us. This, this little representation of, of God with, with 200 bones, right, and 500 muscles, some large, some small, with this brain with 10 billion nerve cells, right, with skin with more than... Two million sweat glands with, with 3,000 sweat glands per square inch to, to perfectly regulate on most days, except in Evansville, Indiana, the temperature outside, right? All of that contained in two sets of 23 chromosomes, uniquely, uniquely identifying each one of us for who we are, each, each chromosome. You know, there's 46, right? But each chromosome containing over 20 billion pieces of information, right? Bits of information. If you translated that into words, it would be 500 million words, right? If you translated that into pages, it would be 2 million pages. At 500 pages, a book, right? That means a single human chromosome is equal to about 4,000 volumes of information, right? I know, Sarah, you love to, to, to read books, you know? Um, 4,000. 4,000 contained in one of your chromosomes, right? Um, wow. That is a beauty of a magnificent God forming who you are, each one of you. This magnificent, as we saw in Paul in Ephesians 2.10, this magnificent poema, this, this magnificent masterpiece of creation. That's what Moses says. That's, that's the beauty of a God who, 
who wants you to be in relationship with him. A third way in chapter 2 that Moses brings out this idea uh, uh, that God made us to relate to him is his goodness and care in preparing the earth for man, right? In preparing the earth for man. There's, there's something um, powerful going on here. When, when, when God created the world, uh, in verse 5 of chapter 2 kind of points out that there were some, some deficiencies. There were some things that were still needed. And, and verses 6 through 17, our passage for today, shows God providing for those things, those few things that were lacking left in the world. And we'll see next week. He'll continue. There's still was something, he, he points out in verse 18, there's still something not right, something not good. And, and next week we'll see in verses 19 through, through 25 that, that God meets that need as well. Everything about Adam, everything about God's creation proclaims the love and the care and the kindness of its creator. But I want to focus today, too, on on this um, location of the garden. Again, probably from the earliest times when you heard the story of creation uh, then, then you begin to think, you know, this is just one of those creation myths, right? This is just another one of those stories. By the way, there are many out there, and many freshmen, when they get to college and hear that for the first time, they, 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 they are thunderstruck, right? The fact that some other culture has a creation story, that must mean that mine's not true. And, and I remember my freshman year sitting in a Bible literature class at UCLA. I was just flabbergasted by the explanation that they said, and to, to, I have to be honest with you, it, 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 it gave me a hiccup. I'm thinking, has everything I've ever believed been untrue? And then just, I'm speaking just for me, what really helped me was understand, if it is in, true, it is in fact true, then it's true for everyone, right? Whether or not they worship Yahweh, it is true for everyone, and everyone's going to have some remnant, some some desire to understand that creation story and everyone's going to express it. So when you see similarities, it, it makes sense that, that all through the ages, the truth of the creator being has been passed down. What, what Moses wants you to know is that it's your God, your God, who is that creator. Wow. But here in in Genesis 2, we see that this loving creator placed Adam and Eve in a garden, right? And and it's very specific here. He says, to the east of where we are, right? They were wandering aimlessly in, in I believe, Midian um, for 40 years, right? To the east of this and to the north of where they they were. um, He describes very carefully the place. Now, it's so tempting, and I succumb to that temptation to go and try and find that place, right? Because he gives you very powerful clues. He gives you four rivers that flow from that place, right? And two of them, at least, have are rivers that we still call the Tigris and the Euphrates, right? It's fascinating. I love archaeology, and archaeologists have discovered yet another, by satellite imagery, another riverbed that, that flows up to that same general area in Mesopotamia. But... but the scripture is very clear. This is not a fairy tale. And this is a very specific historical place. Now, is it still there? No, no. We'll see in the coming weeks. It's not there. But, but this isn't just a fairy tale. God created a very specific place. And that's going to be important for us. Because many of us are not comfortable or satisfied with the place that we are. And we have to wrestle with this truth. That if God has put you in a place, then, then he has a purpose for you being there. He's sovereign even over the place you are right now. But I digress. Let me go back. Where, where is it that he placed them? He placed them in a place called Eden. Eden. And, and Eden means delight. Delight. He placed them in a place called delight, right? 
delight. In other words, God wanted them to be with him and, and to delight in him. Now, I want to note that, that um, it was a place with boundaries, with boundaries. Um, we've, we've noted already it's a place where he is, but, but in this account, he said, this is a place, and 99.9% and of it is, is completely free and available to you. There's one place, right? There's one boundary that I have for you. Don't eat of the tree, the physical tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is found there, right? And isn't that an interesting reflection on our culture today, right? We don't do well with boundaries, even very obvious boundaries, right? Um, I, I just think that the cultures that have gone before would look at us and say, have you lost your mind, right? Everything uh, physically uh, speaks to boundaries that God has given to us. Uh, the, the word of God says, this is a boundary. Don't cross it. And, and our culture says, that has no impact or meaning for me. Well, as we'll see um, in two weeks, there's, there's a consequence of, cost, uh, of crossing boundaries. I wanted you to note this right up front. And I know you understand it because every single one of you live by boundaries. You People who are here in our, in our sanctuary right now are living by a boundary right now. They're wearing masks. Thank you so much for being willing to do that, to, to bless and to say to other people, I love you enough to wear this mask while we're together. Right? That's a boundary. And, and you submitted to it. There's boundaries that I struggle with, but um, like speed limits, but, but, but they're boundaries, right? They are boundaries for us. Everyone lives in terms of that. Doesn't it make sense that the creator of the universe, the one who uniquely formed you, knew exactly what you needed? And, and when you run into God's boundaries, um, there's a consequence for, for not recognizing them, for not honoring them. I want to say that we'll look in depth in two weeks at the strategies of the evil one, right? But one of his greatest strategies is to cause you to cross those boundaries. And one of the ways he does that is to cause you to focus on what you don't have rather than what you have. I'm so grateful. It sounds weird. I can't even say it. I'm so grateful for COVID for reminding me of the blessings that not even disease or pestilence can take away. The strategy of the evil one is to say, did God really say don't cross that boundary? And, and our culture has wholeheartedly stepped into that. It is a place where he is. It is a place with boundaries, but as we saw a moment ago, it's also a place of unspeakable delight. Unspeakable delight, right? As I summarized in the very beginning, the first step in learning the art of being who God created you to be, the first step in learning the art of being human is to recognize that there is a God and you are not him. The second step in learning the art of, of being a human being is recognizing that you and everyone you lay eyes on are made in the image of God and a visible representation of an invisible God. If these are new to you, just go back Watch our previous times together. But the profound truth for us this third Sunday of, of the art of being human is this. You become, sorry for the English language problems here, in whom or what you delight. Let me say that in vernacular. You become what you delight in. You become what you, do you know that word delight? As a guy, it's not a word that's, that's deep in my vocabulary, right? Until you watch, I was watching on the um, Ware Valley website. A couple people here have homes in the, web, the Ware Valley area. And, um, and there was a couple of uh, bear cubs that uh, got loose in someone's pool. And they were going crazy. They were just flopping around. They were just delighting like the psalmist said of the Leviathan, the, the great beast in the ocean, 
it, it, with frivolity, it delighted in its creation. There's this aspect that has been sucked out of us that God created us for, and that is to just enjoy him, to just enjoy one another, to delight in one another, just to enjoy his creation, right? Um, God created you uh, for delight, and he placed Adam in this place of unspeakable delight. But if my, my premise is true, if we become not what we eat or what we read, but if we become what we delight in, then who are we becoming? Right? Who are you becoming? The word of God says, delight yourself. Psalm 34, excuse me, 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in Yahweh, Elohim. Delight yourself in God. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Many of you, I, I call you to hearken back to, to that teaching so many months ago that um, all of us have desires, but we just can't get to what we desire, right? And we saw it's really important to decide what you're going to do. And I want to do that today. I want to challenge you. Decide, are you going to delight in God or not? But then many of us make decisions and don't keep them, then it's critically important that we discipline ourselves to do what we say we're going to do. God, you are my God. I want to honor you with my life. How are you going to discipline yourself to do that? Many of you are doing that right now. You put yourself in community with other believers. And at first, it might be a struggle. Many of you overcome huge obstacles. Even to be present in this room today, it's a struggle. But but as you do it over and over again, it moves from this place of being a discipline to being a delight. And we saw in that scripture, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You mean if I want a Mercedes and I delight myself in the Lord, he's going to give me a Mercedes? You missed it. As you delight in him, he will give you new desires. Desires that will honor him. Desires that will bless you. And should the Lord tarry a thousand generations who come after you. So where do you start? I want to start with, with Psalm 37.4. I want to start with delight in the Lord, right? But he actually gives us a big clue in verse 3. Trust in the Lord, he says, and do good. It's not enough to do good if you're not trusting the Lord. It's not enough to trust in the Lord. Doesn't that sound crazy? If it never changes your life, if it never affects the outcome of your life, your behavior, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. Look at this. It's like the psalmist was thinking of Genesis. Dwell in the place. Dwell in the land. Dwell in the place where God put you and cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness. But God, I've been asking for this for so long. I'm praying this morning for a little girl in, in, in Seattle, Washington, who, who was born with all kinds of physical defects and is about to undergo surgery. And, and I'm praying for two reasons. One is because I know God loves this little girl. Her name is Camille or Millie. And, and he loves this little girl, right? And he wants her to be whole. But I know also that he loves her mother, uh, Katie, and her father, Joseph. And, and I, want them, I want them to have their faith strengthened by God's provision for Camille, for Millie, right? But there's yet another layer. You see, I have a beloved friend in Seattle who, who um, we went to UCLA together. And for 40 years, he struggled to believe some of the things he knew in his head to make that journey from his head to his heart. And, and I'm, I'm asking for a miracle for Camille so that my friend Milford would have a front row seat and so that he could know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because see, Milford has real needs. You have real needs, right? And we need, to, we need to know that there is a God who's able to provide for those needs. So I just invite you, trust in the Lord, do good, dwell where God has placed you. Don't spend your time looking to that place you're not. Dwell where you have been placed 
cultivate faithfulness. And I ask you again, who or what are you becoming? Come on up, worship team, if you would. Who or what are you becoming? I know these are difficult times. And because we're ignoring both our creator and our created design, I have a strong sense that they're going to get even more difficult, right? That's just me. But God is still in the business of creating a place for us. Do you remember the words of Jesus in in John 14? Don't let your hearts be troubled, neither be afraid, right? In my Father's house are many rooms. What do you say? I go there to prepare a place for you, a place for you. And if I go and he went, then I will come back so that you may be where I am. How how glorious and great is our God who not only created a place for us here where every, every stream and every bird, every aspect of his creation declares his glory, but he has also prepared a place for eternity where we will be with him. And Jesus has gone ahead to prepare that place for you. Jesus has gone ahead to to, um, invite you into the very presence of God's glory. So pray with me, would you? God, thank you that you are our God. You have entered into covenant relationship with us. But God, thank you that you also are the creator and every aspect of your creation declares your glory. The only thing remaining to declare your glory is human beings who will say unabashedly in the midst of a culture that denies you even exist, You are our God. How great is our God. Worship with me, would you? Stand together. Let's close in, in worship. creation declares your glory and we add our voices to creation how great you are but God I thank you that you also send your only son Jesus to reveal to us how we who have been broken who have been removed from this place of delight how we can once again be restored to relationship I thank you God that Jesus the second Adam did what the first Adam could not do He lived the perfect life. He strong and boldly opened the door to everlasting life. Oh God, help us walk through that door, even now. Pray in Jesus' name.
glory, God. We join our hands with the trees of the field and we clap. We give you praise and glory. Help us now, God, as we go back out into that desert place, as we go back out into that wilderness to, to know that we have a place and you are already there. And you who created us and formed us will never leave us or forsake us. We worship you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated just for one more moment? Um, very quickly, we're going to be dismissing you, beginning with those of you in the back, those of you online. Thank you so much for joining us. We will look forward to seeing you next week. In just a moment, we will um, be releasing you, and we invite you, if you would, to make your way all the way to the gym and or to outside, and you are welcome to fellowship as much as you're comfortable with at, the, at those places. But we're going to make ourselves ready for the next uh, worship service that will be in here. Peace of Christ be with you. We're dismissed.